instead of marketing having like a a goal that is very early in the journey, make them have a goal that is later in the journey and then adjust their activities according to that. If you're a kind of that cowboy salesperson that, you know, just punches in the number on the phone and then dial the customer, it's great if you sell, but still it leaves no kind of pattern behind because there's no digital reflection to be looked at within the calling software. You can only spend your money once and we should be spending it where you get the most effectiveness out of it. Welcome to the Revenue Discussion Podcast. This podcast aims to inspire and educate the newest generation of revenue leaders on various subjects related to sales, marketing, revenue operations, and customer success. Every week, we invite an inspirational guest who is willing to share his or her insights, strategies, and tactics that has worked or are still working for him or her. Today, we invited Stefan Hedebrand to the show. If you don't know who he is, he's a co-founder and CMO of dreamdata.io. And the mission of Dream Data is to gain visibility in what drives B2B revenue. So think of capturing different digital touches to map out the customer journey. Think of uh, buying intent. Think of attribution models. Think of you know, understanding how much in advance you should start with your commercial activities to close a deal today. So all of that and more is what we will be dis- discussing today. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Stefan, to the show. Uh, very glad you're here. How you doing? Hey, Dylan. I'm doing pretty good. And uh, yeah, thanks for, for inviting me to, to the show. It is, a, it is a pleasure. Can you maybe uh, start by telling where you're calling from? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in Denmark, in, uh, in Copenhagen. Awesome. So uh, a bit north, uh, north of, uh, of Belgium. <laughs> yeah, beautiful country, though. So... Stefan, um, you know, you're the co-founder and CMO of, of Dream Data, and I know that, you know, you guys, I mean, your, your goal is to create visibility in what drives B2B revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, what I got out of the website and, you know, kind of researching you guys. But I want to hear it from you, from the co-founder, from the CMO. What is Dream Data? And maybe at the same time, give a little bit of background about yourself. You know, where did you start it and how did that let's up to, uh, yeah, to co-found Dream Data? <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I can try to give uh, give you the p- a quick pitch. Um, so mainly, I've been in uh, in B two B companies ever since I graduated university, and I've been mainly involved in marketing and growth roles uh, in various uh, ways in companies that have been highly digital, if not com- completely digital, uh, ever since. So. That's whatever I'm saying. It's very colored by that. This is my experience. Um, and there's definitely other ways that work as well. But I've been taking the digital approach to to, to go to market, you can say. Um, and then in my past job, I went through this journey of, uh, you know, being less than 20 employees up to around 100 employees at a, at a B2B company and uh, spending zero money on ads up to spending around 100,000 euros on ads per month uh, when we were spending the most. And in the beginning, you have a pretty good idea about what kind of, uh, you know, return you see on your money. But as you're running full speed, the last 10, 20,000 you put in, you're a little bit, I don't know whether it works or not. <laughs> so during that, uh, my tenure there, I'm, I'm I, uh, as I've ended up there, I met my two co-founders and um, they showed me their like ugly, uh, what can say, alpha product. And uh, 
I could suddenly see that I could now see stuff I could never see before, which means uh, how did my ad spend actually impact how much our salespeople sold for uh, six months, 12 months later. And that's kind of, you know, I firmly believe that you should be doing marketing to, you know, either create sales pipeline or at best sell uh, deals and everything else is pretty much a waste of time. <laughs> so as I saw that these guys could actually solve this, uh, with their, uh, we, we ended up, uh, you know, getting together and um, trying to build a business around it. And uh, for the first uh, one to two years, I, I did all sales, all demo calls, etc. So I got my fair share of, uh, you know, trying to be an account executive as well. And uh, I got a lot of respect for the, the sales craft through that. And, you know, <laughs> also it didn't, you know, it it's changed the way I thought about marketing, because if you, if you know you there's an actual person that is going to receive these demo calls <laughs> or these marketing qualified leads or whatever, um, then you've completely changed the, you can say quality criteria of how, right. What do you actually hand over to sales? Because you don't want to be wasting people's time. And you do that if you hand over uh, low quality leads. Um, and then, uh, so, so kind of that's my approach to, to sales and marketing initially. Um, what we've built with, with Dream Data is basically, you can call it a go-to-market uh, data warehouse for, for B2B companies, which means... Uh, we basically extract everything that touches accounts uh, digitally uh, from any tool. So that's, you know, typically from your CRM tool. If you have an outreach tool, uh, calling software, uh, messaging software, uh, automation software, etc. It's what takes place on your website and then the money you spend on ads trying to drive people to the website. And this, when you run that through our algorithms, basically creates a, um, a timeline of all the touches that you know of on an account. Mm -hmm. And if we, if I am to do the, you can say the sales pitch here, then, uh, then the situation changes when you're in a demo call, because you can actually see which path did this customer take to reach mm -hmm. this demo call or which piece of content did they look at uh, while they were deciding on when to book this demo call or while they waited for the demo call. So the script or the pitch that you arrive at, at the, you know, that demo call can change a lot according to the actions that the customer has taken. Yeah. Yeah. And especially now in, in days where everything is being digitalized, where you know that the customer is going to inform himself or herself before entering that demo call. Now you kind of get a, initial idea of what they know already and can anticipate on that, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And we also then use this, the same product to uh, also decide upon who to reach out to, um, because customers, unfortunately, mainly spend their time ghosting you. So they like, they do all sorts of stuff, read your emails, visit your website, log into your product, etc. And we kind of monitor everything that takes place anywhere. So when you have to decide upon who should I reach out today, you can, you know, sort it by who are actually active in some system and then meaningfully reach out according to the, to, to what they do. Okay. Well, very interesting. And what I like also from, from your story is that you 
were and still are a CMO. You have now also touched on the sales aspect and a, a topic I see coming and coming over and over again, um, you know, in the community is marketing and sales alignment. It's mm. also, you know, stepping away from the term marketing and sales, but actually now more talking about revenue growth, yeah. you know, talking yeah. about the revenue story. So how do you guys try to, to take on that challenge? So this is something we we care deeply about as well. And um, actually for the listeners here, they can go to our website and find a, we made a blog post called the 10 things that we do to align sales and marketing. But I think it starts with you like flipping your mind from being like, as you said, a marketing silo and a sales silo because the customer doesn't care. The customer is just in one, you know, one customer journey. So, and then typically sales, no, sorry, marketing starts the journey and typically sales gets the contract signed. And then we want to help each other as much as we can uh, to make this happen. Um, mm -hmm. So like practical advice, I would say, uh, make sure when you have your weekly sales meetings, make sure that somebody from marketing sits in, listens to the conversations that you guys in sales have. Because like marketers can, if they're at least decent, can spot kind of like what are the things that are consistently being said and come up with content that can, instead of being like a one-to-one -one answer, then you can actually make a really good one-to-many um, answer to this question. Mm -hmm. So that the next time you have customers coming into you to your website, they've at least had the opportunity to read the answer to this question. And hopefully the sales conversation is a little bit more progressed than what it used to be. Yeah. I would say, you know, throw parties together uh, <laughs> make sure fair, right? that yeah or like ask the marketing people to join the sales calls um if you and the sales about... team had yeah yeah if, if you and the sales team have a really good understanding of who is good to sell to you know walk into the marketing room if it's you know if you're physically next to each other and tell them we like to sell to companies who looks like this <laughs> can you please try to attract more of these so I think it, it comes up to both departments to really take responsibility that we understand each other. So, you know, Definitely. we can be doing the best marketing in the world, but if the salespeople doesn't pick up the phone when it rings, then the value of the marketing we've done is very little. Yeah, 100%. And also, you know, when it comes to, um, to the power of data, you know, I think there also you... You have now an extra, because what Dream Data do, does uh, ultimately is adding an extra layer of information, of insights that can be both beneficial for the marketing department as well as for the sales department and knowing yeah. what each other can mean for each other. So how do you there, you know, what, what kind of insights do you see that comes from marketing but are super valuable for sales and inversely, what data from coming from sales, you know, can give to marketing that's, you know, super interesting? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question, Dylan. And I think there's, there's, you can answer it in many different ways. But typically, the way that, uh, at least when you use an attribution product, I think you should start with looking at, um, you should start by looking at the deals that we've won, which, which paths did they take? And are there anything here in uh, in these paths that they've taken that are kind of replicable? Can we can we can we do it again? Can we scale it so that we we scale the activities we know make it all the way to close to one, 
And if you then have a bunch of activities that you do and might be expensive and time consuming, but never reach close one, then you probably want to be stopping with those marketing activities. So you kind of, you look backwards at what worked in the past and then you try to do more of that in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I think from a sales perspective, you can really help marketing so much by just informing them what are the questions that our customers are consistently asking? How do our ideal customer profile look like? I, though I would say this, that is a discipline for the whole company, not just sales, but mm-hmm. you can still let marketing know that these, these are the people that I try to, to sell to. And then I think the best thing marketing can do is to be obsessed with, with doing stuff that go far down the pipeline. An example like that could be like if if we said the goal for marketing was just to, you know, uh, convert emails, then maybe they should just be running a a funny cat video (laughs) to try to get as many emails. But that would very likely be a waste of salespeople's time because there's no buying intent in, you know, people signing up for a funny cat video. So you want to have your marketing team obsessed with how many, for example, sales qualified opportunities is created or at best pipeline, if you have enough velocity to that, to that. So again, that, you know, instead of marketing, having like a, a goal that is very early in the journey, make them have a goal that is later in the journey and then adjust their activities according to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said something interesting there is that marketeers should actually focus on the activities where you know you will get actual buying intent. And so from from your experience and, you know, what you see happening with your dream data, Mm. what are good buying intents most of the time? Uh, It's typically, uh, there's typically less volume because high intent has a smaller volume like people are not in the market all of like you know typically you say like one two three percent of the market is actually buying right now so you want to make sure that you've covered everywhere on the internet where people are actually expressing this intent uh and and in uh, an example of when marketers can do it a bit wrong is like if let's say that they're measured on what you could call a marketing qualified lead and if then those who are doing it wrong are just reading it as a lead. So that could be like a download of an ebook or a sign up to a newsletter, which to me, at least when I do these things, holds no intent of doing anything right now. I'm just interested in whatever topic this company is, is doing. But if somebody actually goes and books a demo call with you and it comes from a company you normally sell to, then that's an expression of intent that they actually want to speak to a salesperson and they represent a company that you normally sell to. Okay, so that's interesting because now I have, a, I have another question for you. Suppose that, you know, you have the that potential customer, that prospect that has already downloaded 10 different mini guides from your company. Mm. And so, you know, you have those 10 uh, touches already and you think, all right, maybe I should reach out to them versus having that one person that hasn't done anything yet except, you know, trying a demo is then that person that tries a demo more valuable to you than the one that you know is really informed in what you do and what you are? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I think there's you know there's probably going to be examples of the both being the most attractive one. Um, but if and it, you know 
is that somebody actually raises the, their hand and say that they want to talk to sales is probably the, the strongest intent. Whereas somebody who's just re consuming content uh, might just find your topic in interesting while not wanting to buy. I would say if somebody looks super active, you know, sending a DM on LinkedIn would probably still make sense just to like offer your help and see if you can trigger uh, trigger something. I I typically think about you know content cons consumption of like. It, you're giving value, you're giving knowledge away to these people, and you then can also extract it at some point, but it also, sometimes you actually need to reach out to actually extract the value. <laughs> I can give you a small example, uh, right? To, to, on Thursday this week, we're, we're having a, a live event on LinkedIn, and I, I just got my colleague to take my LinkedIn profile and send a, a templated message to 100 people or so. And now actually some of them write me back, hey, I can't join on Thursday, but I've been following you for a while and I actually want to like, who can I talk to to learn more about your solution? So if there's never this like one, if, if there isn't, if you never do the outreach, you don't know whether that, you know, following actually represents intent as well. So obviously I think you can, you can, <laughs> you can argument for both ways. <laughs> I think, I think I just did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you, you, I mean, your example is uh, is a good illustration that yeah, people can be passive sometimes, and having a proactive approach now and then, you know, um, it, it it cannot be everything. You cannot only do outreach, uh, outbound, but uh, having a good balance is is definitely something I also believe in. Yeah, I think the worst thing you can experience is somebody who starts selling immediately when when you have actually not shown. We that agree on that. Any, yeah. <laughs> I just today I connected with somebody on LinkedIn and then like one minute later, there's a sales pitch in that my, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I just deleted the message. Like it would be different if he had been following me, like my post commented, and then, you know, four weeks later, ask me something. Exactly. hundred percent. Now, when you guys study the different customer journeys, yeah. because there is also one big question I have regarding customer journeys, you know, you. I, I never know, do people, you know, do, do all of the people kind of buy the same way? Do they all have a similar customer journey at the end, you know, in average? Or do you really see that, you know, some people really come directly from LinkedIn, other people can maybe come from Google and then on the website, other people, you know, got referred to you, uh, other maybe come from review websites. So, you know, having all the data and all that, that, that um, holistic view on where leads can come from, do you see mm. their uh, kind of, um, and that can be unique per company, right? But do you see that per company, there is kind of an average uh, customer journey that can be mapped out? Um, <laughs> good question. Uh, I would say you can come up with average numbers on a journey, but there is no such thing as an average journey. Uh, at least uh, it's only the top 0.1% of big B2B companies that actually would have enough data to have like a representative customer journey because, you know, we put out some benchmarks before the summer that said the average journey was 192 days and had an average of 32 sessions and more than two people involved in each deal. Oh, wow. But it might as well be that, you know, this company, no, yeah, even within just within, let's say within Dream Data, there's certain journeys that have one person involved, just other journeys that have five people involved. Some journeys take two months, other journeys take, 
you know, a year. So then, then but just by cl clashing that all together and say, this is the average journey, I, I really don't believe that you should try to like even think about it. I think it's what you should be, uh, uh, like you, everybody loves a funnel because it's, it's, it's so logical how it, yeah, people, <laughs> it evolves. People try to, that's an exercise. It's actually a brainstorm workshop exercise where you try to map out the customer journey and, and the funnel. Yeah. So, but continue, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Uh, and I think, I think it, it differs. So I think when you reach the later stages of the journey, then I think you can start thinking about a funnel. For example, we have what we call a marketing qualified lead and then sales acceptable lead, sales qualified lead, and then deal one. And we actually know the average of each time in each stage. But the time it takes leading up to you actually saying, okay, now I'm ready for a sales conversation can differ so much. And I think that the best thing you can do as a company is just constantly being present and constantly be giving value to your customers because, you know, people might not have the budget right now. They might need to change job before they can actually buy your service, which they like. So I think the best, the best thing you can do is just constantly add value to those who look like your ideal customer profile. And then... Like most likely it will be you that they reach it out, reaches out to when they have the budget, when the timing is right. You know, they might just have a leader that changed or the ops guy just moved out or like, you know, a hundred things can happen. So the only thing you can like proactively control is that you produce quality stuff and put it in front of them. And the reason why I'm saying stuff is that, you know, it can be blog posts, it can be video, it can be a webinar or like a, something a webinar-ish like what we do, but it can also be one-to-one -one chat on LinkedIn. So there's many ways you can do quality touches, but just make sure you get it done. Yeah, no, I like that, definitely. I mean, in, in our case, you know, we are a community, so it's not like we have... Uh... Yeah, it's not like we can do consultancy services or you know help in in a call or something like that. But we, mm. when we can, we try to do introductions and you know try to help people that way. So I totally believe you can always try to to add some value, no matter where in the funnel, no matter who it is. And, uh, yeah, I think for you guys as as well. Like I think you also you also do a lot of free events, right? Or like mm -hmm. produce free content as well. So the same way that kind of you need to give a lot of value, but then. You also need to like have that one-on-one -on -one conversation at the event or something like that to you know bring them across the line. So <laughs> you need to do a bit of both. Definitely, no, definitely. Now, you know when you um, when you have to gather um, all the different data sources, I can imagine it's different for an SME than for a big corporate that has a bunch of data. Mm. But what are for you like the you know you are a and as a me, you know, you're running, you are right. Yeah. If you want to get more visibility, what are for you the most important sources that they can, you know, try to, to, um, to put together? Mm. Good question. So, like, so we are in the business of B two B, and I think the main thing that that a lot of B two B companies get wrong is that most of the tools that they use um, at least in the marketing end of the spectra are intended for like a b2c scenario so they they're looking at people as individuals instead of part of accounts facebook google linkedin it's all the same they're looking at the actions of an individual and if there's then three people involved in the buyer journey then 
you know, you might do your marketing investment in starting the journey with one person, but then if it's his or her boss that then signs the contract, then the cost you had acquiring that account to start their journey is just looking like an ex expense. So first of all, you need to develop an understanding of that you're actually in, in a world where there is such a thing as an account journey and not uh, not an, an individual timeline. But then I would say from there on, it's every every interaction you have with an account matters, you know. It might come in through your chat on your website. It might, you know, be a demo call. It might be a physical meeting. Uh, it might be a click on an ad and then a visit to the website. I think the the important thing is that you kind of wire your organization to leave as much digital trace as it can. For in order for you, when you are, then are interested in doing the analysis, then you can go back and look at the numbers. So an example can be if you're a kind of that cowboy salesperson that, you know, just punches in the number on the phone and then dial the customer. It's great if you sell, but still it leaves no kind of pattern behind because there's no digital reflection to be looked at within the calling software. Mm -hmm. It could also be like if you do all your customer support from your like Gmail well, that's also hard to understand. So if you put all of that into, you know, a customer success software, then again, you have like a history of an account. And in, in that sense, you can kind of think through your whole customer journey and think about all the interactions you have with your accounts and make sure that you don't do these kind of off, just offline behavior because, because then you have no chance of actually understanding what takes place when you want to do reflection mm -hmm. and analysis. Yeah, that's a good one. Try to be intentional in where you can capture data because uh, that ultimately gives you more insight and visibility in, in what uh, in what brings the revenue. Yeah. Um, another question I have is, you know how you guys capture data before actually you have been in touch with a customer? And yeah. I'm always asking myself, all right, but how do you guys do that? Because mm -hmm. At the end, you you can always you can only know when people reach out to you when they did reach out to you or when you yeah. reach out to them. But how do you guys then get an, you know a greater visibility uh, beyond that? Yeah, so let's uh, let's start with the problem. And the problem is you know the original source field in the CRM system, which is typically what the marketers are being measured on. What normally takes place is that the original source field gets either custom populated by a salesperson or it gets populated by the session in which the demo call was booked. But people, you know, they don't, they very rarely go directly to your website and come out of nowhere and not just want to book a demo. There's always a path towards it. And for example, when we have a demo booked on our website, it takes an average of four visits. And the first visit is typically like some kind of marketing activity, paid organic referral. And then the second one could be uh, organic because they Google the brand name in Google. And now the, your website sticks and then they just, you know, type in dream data and then hit enter. And then it looks like it's direct. And this would say, in this case, it would just say original source direct in the CRM system, but it was actually started by a marketing activity. So that either makes you waste a lot of money because you can't see this connection or you grow your company a lot slower than, than what you could actually do if you, you had this transparency. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that we solve it is that we have a tracking script that we put on our customer's website. 
And tracking script is basically just a fine term for us, you know, looking at who's arriving at the website, giving them an ID and writing down, they came from this place, they did these things and they went here afterwards. And then we just consistently write a logbook of what is this ID doing? And then upon the time when they do a form submit, which is uh, meaning book a demo, download a newsletter, etc., we get the consent to look at what did you do while you were anonymous. So if you had five visitors, visits before you booked the demo, we can see what did you do on those five visits before. And then we see, oh, it was actually not direct as the original source. It was a paid Facebook or, or something like that. Oh yeah, okay. Okay, interesting. So once you get in touch with them, then you have all that log, logged activities that you uh, you get back linked to to those person. Yeah, and that's how it stays. You can say GDPR compliant as well because your behavior right. initially just completely anonymous. We have no clue who you are, but when you push through the form that's included in the terms and conditions, we can now look at what you did while you were anonymous. Mm -hmm. Talking about GDPR, have I heard that uh, Google Analytics is now illegal in Denmark? Yes, illegal in, I think, Denmark, Italy, Austria, France, or something like that. So I think <laughs> it's moving towards uh, the whole of EU uh, quite yeah. soon, which is kind of a, a mind-blowing consequence. Uh, one, because, you know, 99% of websites uses Google Analytics and 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 two, if this is true for the Google Analytics case, it's probably also true for a hundred other other tech companies. And which yeah. basically what takes place is that Google records the data in the EU, but then it, it they transfer it, the data then to the US without guarantees of how, uh, you know, how protected it is and who can watch this data. That's pretty much, that's how I understand it. And yeah, yeah. I think, you know, they've had, how old is GDPR now? Like five, six years. So they have had enough time to actually get a, get a hold of this problem. And so, and, but I think like, first of all, Google Analytics is huge, but then there's other companies who are in the same situation. So the, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, going forward here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def but yeah, because definitely when you hear that, that that comes from a Google product, you don't, that's not what you would expect, right? You, you think, no. that, uh, uh, but yeah. You know, never, it's not because you're a giant, you cannot uh, <laughs> be, be vulnerable to those, uh, to those legislations. No, no, and to be honest, even though it's, you know, sometimes problematic from a marketing point of view, um, as a private person, I'm, I'm actually okay, happy with that there is actually some, some bigger unit that actually t tries to protect us a little bit for not just being uh, misused anywhere we can be misused. All right, let's let's go back to uh, to Dream Data a little bit because yeah. I'm also kind of curious. Now that you guys, I don't know wh when did you guys st start it up? Was that in... yeah, like th three and a half, four years ago uh, by now? Three and a half, that, that, years. Yeah. All right, so so maybe uh, at the beginning when you guys started it, you had an initial problem in 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 your head, right? Mm. Just getting more visibility in what actually drives revenue. But mm. now that you guys are four years into business. Have you also yeah. seen other problems, issues that you are now actually solving thanks to gaining that visibility? Um, 
so I think the best part of it for me is that it's has become now a product I wish I had in my former jobs because I as a marketer I get visibility into how are our customer journeys looking and which of my activities are actually producing the deals that the salespeople sell and which of my activities are a waste of time uh, or money. And even though that's painful to know, it's good because then next time I can reinvest money more into things that are like meaningfully producing a pipeline. Mm -hmm. Do you work then with, uh, with attribution models? Yes, I think that's a, that's a important topic as well though it uh, is a uh, can be a little bit complex but maybe i can also uh, explain for the audience because maybe not everyone knows what an attribution model is. yes so if we wait with the model just a little second then imagine you have a hundred percent of everything that took place in a customer journey then you would know everything that happened now you have those 100 percent and then you can use an attribution model to look at different parts of those 100%. So there's like there's a couple of classic attribution models, which one is the first touch attribution model, where you look at what was the very first touch on this journey. And then there's the last touch model. What is the very last touch on this journey? Typically, uh, then the first touch will come from a marketing activity or an outbound activity. And the last touch would probably be a call or a meeting that a salesperson had. So as you have the whole journey available, then depending on what is your role in this journey, uh, you can, you know, isolate certain parts of the journey. Could be the one, you're the one that uh, drive, holds all your webinars and then webinars is an activity that moves people from marketing qualified to sales qualified because they interact with you and they start to understand what your product does. Then you would want to look at those spe specific timestamps. What happens from when they're MQL to SQL. If it's your task to start the journeys, then you want to use an attribution model that looks at the first part of the journey and so forth. So it's kind of, you, you can think about an attribution model as a lens that kind of amplifies certain parts of uh, the customer journey. And depending yeah. on your role, there are certain parts of the customer journey that you're interested in. Yeah, that's interesting because then you can probably measure an, an average cost to get a lead to a marketing qualified lead from that marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead. And with those different initiatives, you can then probably see, all right, that is the activity that performs the best. That's where yeah. you should double down next year or you know next quarter whatsoever to actually increase, uh, increase performance. Yeah, and then 100% correct, Dylan. I would say that it's, you know, we, you will never get to knowing 100%. <laughs> that would be a dream, but uh, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be, you know, could be somebody listening to the conversation we have here. Could be you had a beer with somebody at a conference and then they check out your website afterwards. A friend recommends a product to you. Somebody mentions you in a Slack channel and so forth. So. There's always going to be stuff that is not going to be in the digital model. And that's where you need to, mm -hmm. you know, apply some common sense to your activities as well to think about is, is this a meaningful thing to do or not? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, then the, the, you can say the tracking of the activity can be kind of an afterthought. 
first, is it meaningful to do this? Yes, okay. Then secondly, how do we make sure that we can track this and repeat this activity afterwards? Yeah, no, interesting. Now, because right now with the community, we're also more focusing on sales and i know we shouldn't work within silos but uh but within sales you know you have all that aspect of, of pipeline management which is very yeah. important and which yeah. has as ultimate goal also to forecast the deals that are that will close the you know the quarter that yeah. will come and what you know fascinates me there is that or fascinates me what you know should actually change there is that people actually track uh the forecast from a moment in that pipeline but actually it could be more interesting to me if we could forecast that much earlier you know from mm. perhaps marketing touches you know very yeah. very low uh not decisive touches yet because that could be an indication as you say it was 192 days in average yeah, before exactly. an opportunity i mean from first touch to a close deal so yeah. that means because to me also the sooner you can predict something i mean the better you can then take decisions based on what you can predict that much earlier. And I think that's just going to be better for the business, for the commercial yeah. department, for the thing in general. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what have you experienced uh, regarding that? Yeah, so what we can see across multiple of our customers is that um, the real journey is actually like, it's probably twice as long as you expect. And what I mean by that is that Typically, when you get asked this question and a salesperson answer, they, they know exactly when did we see this email the first time in the CRM and when did it close. But that's actually not, you know, the customer journey. That, that's, that, that's the sales journey that they know. And what we can see is that the phase before that is maybe one or one and a half X as long as the identified time. And I think it will only increase in the future because people like to do their own research and they can just use the internet to find different vendors and once they're ready to you know maybe they've picked the two or three vendors that they actually want to talk to then they engage in this conversation so i think the unknown time will just keep increasing in the future but this also means that you know if you're in marketing and you want to if you want to help your sales team reach their targets you need to start out twice as much time in front uh, as as you expected so if the journey was the if the average journey is three months then you actually need to start six months before with your activities in order to fill their pipeline in time to allow them enough time to prosper into to deals afterwards so when you're setting the marketing budget to hit a certain point in a certain year uh, in terms of sales then the spend needs to be done you know, it shouldn't be done in December because that's way too late uh, to impact this year. Right. It also means that if you don't understand this dynamic, then the experiments that you run in terms of growth and marketing, etc., you risk either stopping them too early or too late because you don't have transparency into how long should you actually expect a, an average customer journey to, to take. Right. And I can also imagine depending on the deal size depending on the size of the prospect the customer depending on you know what industry they are active in you can also expect yeah. their differences in customer journey length is that possible yes uh, so we don't have enough data for it to even say being scientifically correct but 
you can very easily see that the channel that people enter from impacts how long the journey is afterwards. The same thing for different countries. There's nuances and in different industries. There's different speeds uh, as well. And I think this is up to you to understand yourself as, as an individual business, knowing if they enter here or in these countries, etc. it has these dynamics associated to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just asking a question because I can imagine indeed, if you know you have to hit a certain target, you you might prioritize a certain territory first or a certain segment first. Yeah. Because you know that will take longer to close than yeah. other other segments, other territories, and then you, you should actually try to play with the you know with that dynamic. Yes, and I think like the reason why I really like our product, you can say, is that. You can only spend your money, but you can only spend your money once and we, you should be spending it where you get the most effectiveness out of it. Sometimes that's marketing. Sometimes it's another BDR. Sometimes it's a customer success person, etc. So let's just spend our, let's try to spend our money that it, where it has the most value for the company and not necessarily within our little uh, silo. Mm -hmm. No, no, very interesting. Now, what is uh, what is for Dream Data then the next step? You know, so grow, grow, grow. Um, <laughs> but I think it's uh, you know now we're thirty people and uh, still learning, still want to make our product better, still want to improve retention, avoid churn, be better at upsell, be better at selling to enterprises, etc. <laughs> So there's a, I think there's a massive hunger to, to improve most things. I think the most exciting part here short term is that we've released a new uh, free product, which kind of is a, a B2B version of Google Analytics, which is uh, compliant to, to all these tracking challenges. <laughs> uh, so hopefully see we'll see. Yeah, yeah, this week has been really good, uh, but our idea is basically to build a, a website tracking technology that is more meaningful for B2B companies and still stay compliant. And hopefully we can make that become kind of our truly product-led motion. So people will start using that product. And once we can see that they use the, that product, we'll get our salespeople to <laughs> reach out to them and say, hey, how's it going? Uh, want to connect this data to your CRM system as well and uh, hopefully upsell from there. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see why we, you would do that. Do you focus primarily on the, the European market, EMEA, uh, global? So mainly it's uh, it's uh, Europe and uh, North America. That's, you know, I think typically for most software companies, the biggest markets out there that you want to be, be chasing. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're kind of, you know, pretty much location independent. So if you fit yeah. our ideal customer profile, we'll be happy to sell to you in, in whatever country you're in. Awesome. All right, well, Stefan, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about Dream Data, what touch points do you want to capture? <laughs> I want people to connect with me on LinkedIn and we can uh, chat there. Uh, happy to reply any questions. Our website is dreamdata.io um, because the .com domain is owned by somebody who doesn't want to sell it yet. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's dreamdata.io uh, for the foreseeable future. 
I think that sounds great. Now I have a, I have a last question for you, a question I ask uh, yeah. every guest on the show. So if Stefan Hildebrand would be a brand, what would it stand for? Hmm, that's a nice question. Uh, uh, there's a couple of things that have it's important for me. Kind of there's so transparency, <laughs> friendliness, uh, treat people well, uh, competence, uh, just a uh, no bullshit kind of uh, <laughs> approach. Uh, I think that's how I try to live my. Uh, life but also not wrapping things in so if you know mm. be honest about how yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, you see the world yeah i can see that no i like it i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good question to ask people yeah it's usually you get uh i mean you always get pretty nice answers but sometimes you know someone comes with uh, with out of the box answer and you're like oh nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> But all right, uh, again, thank you, Stefan, for being on the show. Um, yes, I wish you the best of luck with Dream Data. Um, I sure hope to see you more in the near future and uh, hope to catch you uh, on the next episode, man. It was a pleasure, Dylan. Thank you. <laughs>